Welcome to Peers Like Me. Peers Like Me is a regularly updated podcast developed to increase everybody's understanding of the effects of people who have behavioral health issues on our families, neighbors, and communities. Peers Like Me is designed to increase understanding and knowledge for people in our community from a peer, people with lived experiences, perspective, which will result in improved community inclusion. Our hope is that by sharing our knowledge and experience with the issues, our community will gain better understanding and acceptance, resulting in an improved quality of life for everyone. In mid-September, our host, Mark Kelly, attended the New York Association of Psychiatric Rehabilitation Services, Inc., or NIAPERS, 40th Annual Conference, a new alliance, It Takes a Community, at the Villa Roma Resort and Conference Center in Calicoon, New York. She spoke to Bill Gamble, a survivor of the public mental health system. Hello, my name is Maura Kelly, and welcome to Peers Like Me podcast. Today, we have a great honor to have someone that I met over 25 years ago going to a mental health event. He was riding his motorcycle and he reached out and made me feel really comfortable and welcomed at the, at the venue. His name is Billy Gamble and he's a survivor of the public mental health system. Welcome, Billy. Thank you, Maura. Yes. All right. So people listening are probably going to say, raise their eyebrows and say, what, what do you mean a survivor of the psychiatric system? So you, why do you, what does that mean, Bill? Well, um, I was born just a normal kid, as far as I knew. Uh, actually, I'm a person who hears voices, and it, the experience did me no harm. Um, in about third grade, I could not take the sound that was inside my head in the, the noisy classroom, so I would stick my fingers in my ears, uh, which got me sent to a school psychologist which eventually got me sent to a doctor today, I understand was a, psycho a psychiatrist, and ultimately labeled with something called early onset schizophrenia. Now, we understand, I was a kid who was about seven years old. Okay, when was this? Like what decade? Or? Uh, like, so 1966, pre-1968. Okay. All right, but you're not that old, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, okay. So, I'm not that old? Right. 60, oh, I was, I was <laughs> yeah. a child. That's yeah, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, sorry. okay. Hence, early onset. Um, I was put on medication that changed my life. Uh, I went from a kid who loved to play kickball. You know, I loved to play with the other kids. I loved to play on the playground at school. And all of a sudden, I was like a zombie. Yeah. And it made me a target for the other kids. Ah. Um, you know, yeah. and the experiences I was having, I, I, I mean, I lived in a very violent, very... Uh, loud household. Right? Did, did you think anything was wrong with hearing? Stuff? No. Yeah. Okay. So it's just the way. Than anybody else. Right. So how'd they find out? I copped to it talking to the school oh, psychologist. Okay. All right. I said something to the fact that I have noise in my head. Okay. All right. And that led me to see the psychiatrist. That led to medication. That led to some difficulty. Okay. You know, and then I started getting this message. Now, I remember just a few months ago, I was just another kid. Right. You know, um, uh, my parents were taught that I would never um, have meaningful relationships. You know, I would never live independ independently. I would spend great periods of my life in um, institutions. Wow. 
Like, and my like, parents instilled that in me. And uh, in fact, my mother did not use the word crazy. She did not use the word schizolupia, schizophrenia, whatever yeah. it is. She used the word retarded. Ah, and you I got was the raised that I was, Yes. And uh, I was raised like I was less than it. How did your parent, what was your parents' reference? Did they get any advice or, you know, direction or they just... I doubt it as yeah. little as, as possible, particularly my mother, who I'm sure found it a great shame. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Were you the, the secret in the family? Like the closet, like you were the one that no one talked about? Or no? No, I don't okay. think I was. All right. But not in that fashion. Okay. I was just, you know, behind the scenes, I would be belittled. I would be... And then on the scenes, you know, I'm, I'm you know, um, throughout my, my, my early life receiving treatment and directly and indirectly led to believe that I'm different. Yeah. Which I believe caused me to be different, to think different, uh, to not to have hopes, aspirations, goals. You know, in this industry today that we're in, people talk a lot about goals and they still... What in industry? Um... I, I guess you call it peer services. Yeah, okay. Uh, what right. they used to call a movement. Okay. But, you know, I never really had it. You know? Right. I, I mean, we jump forward just a second. Okay. Like, when my life changed when I was like 30, um, I was transitioning out of Middletown Psychiatric Center once again. Yeah. Um, so you were there many times I've or a long been time? There, I, I've been there several times. I've been in local hospitals. Getting what they call psychiatric care. Yes. All right. Was it psychiatric? Was it care? Was it humane? Was it uh, dignified? Um, humane? Looking back, no. You know, right. when something's all you know, it's all you know. Right, you, right. You so you did about it differently. Because i got to be honest, there was a time I was an institutional junkie. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, I invented a hospital enough that when life wasn't perfect... I'd sign myself in. Yeah, because that's what you knew. That was your Yeah, hoping. that's what I knew. Yeah. So what changed? I met a woman named Neil Cavada. Yeah. Uh, it was the early 90s. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, was, on I was on a transitional work program at, at Middletown, Middletown Psychiatric Center. Middletown uh, believed in advocacy. And uh, they were having this eight-week advocacy training. And uh, I met... A woman, uh, she was the first deputy director of the Bureau of Recipient Affairs for the New York State Office of Mental Health. My gosh, that's a long title. Yeah, but people need to know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she met me. She came, she, talked about, she came to talk about her office, you know, the Bureau of Recipient Affairs. And she came to talk about something that intrigued me called the Mental Patients Liberation Movement. And after, you know, her doing this great workshop, you know, I was talking to her. She said, you know, there's a whole other life out here. You should wow. come up, you know, she said, you know, and, and she made Albany sound really dull, but it's where I could meet people. And after a while, I thought Albany was like a lifetime away from Montgomery, New York. Yeah. And, uh, but I did, I took a train up and I met with uh, Neil uh, at the Officer Mental Health. Was, the Officer Mental Health was much different back then. You could just walk in and out. Yeah. Um, wow. I met Darby for the first time. We, you know, Darby yeah, Penny? Darby Penny. So people, she wrote a book in the authority in this peer movement uh, called The Willowbrook Suitcases, I believe. Yes. That is, she's in many Hall of Fames, so people can look her up. Just type in Darby mm -hmm. Penny and they'd be blown away by all what she does. But yeah. Yeah. So, so you 
are involved in conferences and you do training throughout the state. How long have you been employed at your current employer? My current employer since 2009. Although I have been a friend of the Mental Health Empowerment Project since the early 90s. You know, I go back and uh, yeah, I did conferences. I did workshops for Ed Knight. And, yeah. You know, my very first conference was a mental, it was my first conference was the mental, the mental Health Empowerment Project's last statewide conference in Schenectady, New York. We got to get back to that. But, yeah. yeah. So if I'm just sitting in my couch listening to this, I would wonder, okay, if I run across someone like Bill in my life, how can I be helpful or a part of the solution that this guy somehow is functions or has different wiring than I do? Is that a, a way to say that? Like, all right, this guy is hearing voices. He doesn't even think, it's not even an issue for him, but it's an issue for the world, I guess. It's an issue for everyone else, right? Is that what? Well, I'd just like to clarify that yeah. it's not, I live a tortured life. I truly yeah. do. And I don't think people hear me when I say that. Okay. Because I don't carry on with it. You know, that, that that's my struggle. And it's been a long struggle. And it's something I had to learn how to deal with outside of the mental health system because they weren't teaching me how to deal with these, this internal struggle in a mental health system. Right. You know, it, it was medicated. It was trying to, what is that stabilization and maintenance? Yeah. And I want so much more. But through uh, a couple of things, you know, through a set of spiritual principles that I had to find in another type of program. Right. And mutual support, I've learned that this can go on in the background. Right. You know? Yeah. And I okay, can live right. my life. So with reciprocal, back and forth, one level of support, mm -hmm. one, like I'm sharing, you're sharing. Like yesterday I was in in a middle of a room with three doors. And it was like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what, what decision do I make? And a buddy came up and I said, I don't know what, and he goes, come on. And it, 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 like it was so, such a relief to have someone just help me out with that, you know, like, because I, I was just jumbled up with that. So, yeah. so just acceptance, maybe. Support, yeah. Under uh, compassion. Uh -huh. Dr. There's a Dr. Reagan's out, and he's a psychiatrist out in Los, uh, the village in California. And he says the biggest problem the community has is not like afraid because they don't see, they don't feel, they, they see this person that is like Waldo in the picture. And he says there's, there's a need to be curious, to be curious in finding out how to be reciprocal, how to be equal. Is that a good like way to go about this? I don't know because my pushback against Dr. Did you say Reagan? Yeah, Mark is, Reagan's is he's thinking he's different. Right. Uh, my my whole struggle with this concept of mental health and behavioral health yeah. is that it implies that there are seriously in persistently normal people, and I don't buy it. Right. right. I believe everyone struggles. I I don't believe today that I am different. 
Okay. Uh, you know, I am I different than the guy who kicks the cat, the guy who cheats? We all have struggles. Right. Right. So who, who is normal? And why do we even use that term? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But why do we, you know, we get oppressed by terms like consumer applying that or, or peer yeah. applying that we're different. And today we do it to ourselves and I right. don't know why. All right. Let's leave with that thought. Okay. So if people want to seek to understand your perspective, how can they contact you? How can they reach out to you or, or ask questions to you? Is there any way to do that? The easiest way is by text. Okay. I'm a very, I prefer text to anything. Okay. Uh, my number is, I'll give it real slowly. Okay. 518-944-7941. Okay. We've been talking to Billy Gamble, who just, I hopefully piqued your interest in just thinking about things a little differently. Um, thank you very much, Bill. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you as a guest on the Peers Like Me podcast. Thank you, Moore. Okay, all right. You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, Inc., with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guest has been Bill Gamble, a survivor of the public mental health system, our host has been Mara Kelly. 